Hey everyone, this is Jason from Sheep Out of Water. I wanted to take a second to welcome our new listeners. We're glad you're with us. If you haven't already visited our website at sheepoutofwater.com, go ahead and do so. Click the Listen Now button and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We've got a special episode for you this week. Chris and I invited our friend Nick Meyer to join us for a conversation about the faith journey. He's someone we believe knows a thing or two about this topic. Nick is most importantly a husband to Stephanie and father to Theodore. They live in Indianapolis and are always trying to recruit people in their neighborhood. He currently serves as the director of growth for Exodus, aimed at helping men live better and holier lives. His career journey has taken him from teaching special education to serving with focus for four years at Ball State University and the University of Illinois, serving a few years in stewardship and development at a parish and leading a sales team at a tech company. He loves spending time with family and friends reading a good book, hiking, boating, playing music, looking at maps, and watching Notre Dame football. We hope you enjoy our conversation with him as much as we did. Welcome to Sheep Out of Water, everyone. We are going to take a slight detour this week from the Sunday reading series, and and for a very good reason. We are joined by a good friend of ours, Mr. Nick Meyer. And Chris and I and Nick are hoping to get into a conversation about faith journey, the faith journey, people's faith journeys. It's a topic that the three of us uh, certainly share an interest in, and we've been reconnected with Nick here, there, and, and uh, wound up reaching out to him. And hey, would love to have you on the show, chat about faith, family. Uh, Nick, I, I don't even know where to start of all the things that you are. You you currently work for Exodus ninety. You're a focused missionary. Relatively well, new father. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I gotta yeah. tell you guys. I gotta tell you guys. <laughs> I broke the rules here, and I did a bit of research, which I never do. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, for our listeners, this is the first time the three of us have been in the same room, well, virtual room, but been together in the same conversation in almost exactly ten years. It's just a little over ten years. Really? And do you know what happened in the world ten years ago? I can tell you this: Pope, Pope. Not Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict XVI had made Kateri Tekakwitha a saint on October 21st. And you guys are big sports people. Who won the World Series 10 years ago? That would be 2012. 2012. Man, I don't know. I really don't know. It was the San Francisco Giants against the Detroit Tigers. My team. Which one? Lost. <laughs> the losers, won. of course. <laughs> so speaking of losers, now we can get into the top pick. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. I, anyway, it's great to be back with you guys. Same place. Awesome. That is crazy because you're like, who won the World Series, man? 2012, that seems like it was forever ago. Yeah. And so It was a whole decade ago, actually. So we, we thought we'd kind of start with, helping the listeners understand how the three of us know each other. Yeah. Because it's really interesting. It's, it's three kind of separate paths that intertwine at at an interesting location, but we all met at, uh, in Muncie, Indiana. And this would have been Nick during your time as a focused missionary, right? That's right. Yep. And Chris was the pastor at our, at, at my parish at the time. So this would have been Chris's priest time. I don't, 
I can't remember when we met if I was if I had been confirmed at that point or newly confirmed, but anyway, that's how we Yeah, I guess Nick came a little Nick, what year did you get to to San Francisco? Uh, it would have been 2010, so the fall of 2010. Okay. And Jason, so you had not come in yet. I had, I was, uh, no. Yeah. So Nick, maybe, very, 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 well, I don't even say maybe. I would imagine that you and I probably had some conversations. Yes, 100%. If you were hanging out, which I'm pretty sure you were, because uh, I, I remember you and Corinne and the kids from my first year there on campus, so. Yeah, that was definitely before. I think but, actually, Nick, you may have even hit them up for money, didn't you? <laughs> Focus missionary. <laughs> you know me. I, as soon as I showed up, somebody I met somebody. I'm like, hey, are you supporting a missionary? Yeah. But I thought that might be an interesting place to start, or or maybe not. But but this topic of of faith journey is is obviously pretty important to what we talk about in the podcast in many ways, but. You had mentioned, Nick, this was something important to you or just you're fascinated by it. What, where did you think that started, that interest in, in in faith journeys or people's faith journeys? Where do you think that started? Yeah, well, I think it's just part of, um, I think, innate in everybody in a certain sense of like just stories. I think we as humans, just if you look throughout all of history, what has been passed down to us is always been through stories, right? Before there was written, it was or, always oration and, and given, you know, through the lens of stories. And um, I've, I think I've just naturally, you guys know me. I've always, I'm a people person. I love people. And to really get to know somebody, you got to, and to understand who they are and where they are today, you, in a certain sense, you got you to gotta understand where they came from and what they've been through to know where they are today. So I think the the stories of how people get to where they are, and particularly with with faith journeys, I think um, there's there's a line that uh, every sinner, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that and that that's the journey that we all want to make. As, as I think, especially us who us three guys sitting right here, you know, I want to be a saint, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work to get there, and a lot of other people, and a lot of God's grace uh, to help help all of us get there along the way. So I think just a, a fascination as I've kind of grown and matured, just loving people, uh, wanting to know more about who they are, where they come from, what they've been through. That's uh that's the faith journey. That's just all tied up in stories. And we all love a good story. So tell us this story. Uh, one of the things about Nick is he's a fairly recent new dad. So how has your story changed? How has fatherhood changed your experience of your Catholic faith? Oh man, boy, it just makes it so much more uh, tangible and real. I think if I can, uh, the best way to sum it up is just, I feel like I, I understand love in a much deeper way than I ever have. Mm. And especially uh, like an unconditional love, especially for, yeah, my son, Theodore, he's almost nine months old and, you know, just sitting there watching him and just like, wow, like we helped create this life and yeah. he's so dependent upon every everything for us. And I think when I, you know, relate that to our faith, it's like, wow, like I am like Theodore in the eyes of God the Father, where I'm dependent for everything upon him, even though it can be very easy, the temptation to think like, oh, I can control stuff and, you know, get what I want uh, when I want it. But that's that's obviously not true. So I think that's just made it more tangible and real for me. Um, becoming a father and it's uh, been humbling 
and a great joy at the same time. What was the biggest, what's been the biggest surprise to you? Nine months in, okay, why didn't someone tell me this about <laughs> being a dad? <laughs> uh, how impatient you can get. <laughs> that's, that's a very humble response. Very, yes. I can identify. <laughs> I, I would like to tell you it, it just gets easier with the patients, but they, they tend to, as they get older, run into new ways to, to make you impatient. I know. I'm just like, why aren't you sleeping? You're tired. Like, yeah. or you're hungry. Why aren't you eating this bottle or eating from mom? You know, just like things like that. It's just like keeping that in check and just, you know, can, can trying to, trying to like work through that impatience of, I, I, it goes back to control too, of just like, I mean, I'm, I'm an older dad, older, I'm 37. Um, and so having 36 years of uninterrupted sleep, and, um, you know, then I, it's like, I know this is going to happen, <laughs> yeah. but you know, and I'm, I'm an uncle 33 times, um, wow. from, from my side and, and Stephanie's side, but just like knowing something and then actually living it and experience <laughs> it. We all know this to be true. Very different. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point that as you're saying it, I was thinking about how, you know, before when you were um, still single, when I was still a priest, I mean, we were focused on sonship. You know, what does it mean to be sons of the father? And as a priest, like, you know, I could look at myself as a father of the parish, but that's a very, um, I don't want to say superficial because there's a lot of spiritual sacrifice that goes in, but it doesn't get into the grit and grime of everyday life. So now being dads, there's a whole nother depth to the the relationship that we have with God and our faith mm -hmm. where we're not just working on being sons, but we're also working on being fathers. And we see a whole different way how the father sees us. Amen to that. I a hundred percent agree. And um, I'm so curious for you guys too. Like, you know, Chris, you're, you know, Luke's five and a half. Yeah. And same, same question back to you. Like what surprised you then? If you can remember, that's not that long ago. Jason, yours is a little bit, but yours isn't that long ago. Uh, is what is it five? Is it five years ago? Our youngest is six. Yeah, six. six. And a half, okay. So, yeah. yeah, we're not that far back. Yeah, but even but even you know, as now they're in kindergarten, uh, you know, what surprised you? What have you continued to learn as you've had older and now you've got younger? And and if there's been any difference between the two? So, Karen and I have had this experience where, and I can't remember if we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but our oldest son Jackson is 22 and our youngest is six. Right. So we had this. Uh, and then and Emily, our, our middle is 19. So we had a, a, a 12 year gap. And so what was interesting was looking at that gap, we, how much more, not appreciative, but maybe, I guess maybe it was appreciative when, when Nora came along, like how much more patient we were in accepting and not as worried about all the little things we were with Jackson. Because I think I remember with him not knowing anything in, in, I was very much in a different state. Uh, I, I think from a maturity standpoint than you are, Nick, for sure. Not just with age. Uh, so knowing nothing and like, just, I just remember this, I'm going to screw this up somehow, this feeling. But then as you just keep going, what, what surprised me was, is that, okay, we're, you figure these things out. Right. And, and of course you're talking to people and, and it, it's amazing how intuitive you can be in some ways. And then how, absolutely ignorant you are in others. 
Uh, that 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 dichotomy was very surprising to me, if I remember when Jackson was little. So in, in I'll throw this one out there if we can be completely gross. No one told me us about like the first poop when you bring them home that has that stuff, that marconium in it. Oh, uh, yeah. No, somebody told me about that stuff. <laughs> and and, it, and I remember this vividly. <sighs> this may or may not embarrass Jackson at 22 years old. But I mean, it was it was it, look it up or just take our word for it if you don't have kids like it's like this tarry it was like this isn't the way this is supposed to be (laughs) so i mean maybe that would have been a nice little heads up on the first day would have been cool about that maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're like what is this black sludge Uh, how do i i gotta like really get in there to get this out you know like is this is this gonna be like this all the time i don't i don't remember this in the in the handbook it's basically like the the fluids, right, from being in the womb. I yeah, I, right. Yeah, that's I think that's way. right. Yeah, it's like getting everything you know out because they also yeah, there's like stuff coming out of the nose. You know, there's all yeah. It's just yeah. adjusting to being outside of the womb. If I if I remember correctly, yeah. not for the faint of heart. No, so, okay. so everybody that's listening, you're welcome for that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll, we'll we'll put a highlight on on that minute mark there for that. But Chris, what about you? What was your surprise or surprise? Uh, I think my probably one of the things that has hit me the, the most uh, with being a dad. And, and again, I you know I'm 46, almost 47, so I started at 41, mm-hmm. uh, and I was pretty set in my ways, you know, and. Um, my wife and I refer to it as the bachelor syndrome. You know, when I, I want to just go somewhere on my own, or I don't feel like I need to tell anybody where I am or what I'm doing. And uh, that's all changed now because of the, the role, the responsibility, the, the engagement that's necessary uh, in raising a child and especially, you know, a toddler. And so I think my own weakness uh, was much uh, stronger, if I can put it that way. It's, it was much bigger than I thought it was. I did not think I was going to be as weak as, as I am with regard to selfishness and, like you said, patience. Um, and, you know, it's really easy to snuggle and cuddle and tickle and do all the love, you know, when they want it and when they're being that way. But when they don't want it and when they're <laughs> being a real pain in the neck, uh, not to then swing to the other side so far as to like get angry and yell or throw things. And and an example of that, you know, is one time I was giving him a bath and he thought it was funny to be splashing everything everywhere. And he's old enough that he knows he shouldn't. So, I mean, he starts kicking, there's water all over the blinds, there's water all over everything. And then I told him to stop and, and he got mad at me because I told him to stop. So he took one of his, big, you know, 10, 12 inch action figures and threw it at my face and hit me in the face. And I mean, there was not even a 10th of a second of hesitation before I had that thing in my hand and I flung it as hard as I could at the wall. And there's still, unfortunately, it's a good reminder to me of my impatience, blue streaks in the wall that I can't get off the table. And I broke his toy. And then he was upset and he was upset because I was upset. I mean, it just, it, you know, how that goes. then it just spirals and this is something he'll probably remember, you know, for the rest of his life. And I'm like, see, why you gotta be like that? Like he's a little four-year-old or three-year-old, whatever he was. And 
like for crying out loud, control your temper. So controlling my temper is uh, definitely something that I need to get better at. Thanks for, thanks to fatherhood for helping me grow in that <laughs> virtue of patience. I was wondering if, if we can circle back, going back to your time as a focus missionary. So we're talking about people's faith, faith stories. And, and I don't know if many people know, I mean, I'm sure many people do, but maybe our listeners may not really understand what that was in, in, mm-hmm. in how that related to your interest in the faith journey. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that experience was like as a focused missionary in a college campus. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. It was number one, it was um, some, I, I didn't think I would ever become a missionary. If you would have asked me a year before I ended up saying yes to be a missionary with this organization called focus, I would have said, you're crazy. Um, so one, it was never really like something that I wanted to do and planned to do, especially at that time in life. I had just graduated. I was teaching. Um, in my mind, I was, you know, going to teach for 35 years and be a principal, coach sports, and then, you know, retire, you know, at 55 because you got your 30 years or 35 years in. Uh, so that was such a um, like a shock to me in the sense of where the Lord ended up directing me in my life and the path that it's put me on, which has been totally, mm-hmm. totally different than I ever thought, uh, you know, where I, where I am today, I would have never guessed if you gave me 30 tries, hundred tries, <laughs> never would have come to where I am and what I've, what I've done since then. So that's, that's like so interesting to me in terms of my own story and how I had, you know, planned it out and written it, you know, in my own mind. And how it's actually played out so far, you know, 15, 10, 15 years later. Um, but being a missionary, if people aren't familiar with FOCUS, it, it's just an acronym that stands for the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And um, the organization is all about reaching college students. And so uh, FOCUS, you know, finds and trains, you know, young men and young women post-college that have graduated from college. You typically have to have a four-year degree to apply to be a missionary. And then they they train you and send you out and they send you two by two, uh, two guys and two girls to a campus, a college college campus um, that that where they're invited to be by the you know Newman Center or the bishop or the pastor that's there. So uh, I got sent to Ball State, uh, which is the the last place I actually wanted to be, not not because I have anything against Ball State. Uh, I actually love Ball State, but my first two years of college were at Ball State before I ended up transferring to Bowling Green in Ohio. And um, they sent me there and I was like, oh man, I was looking for adventure, <laughs> excitement, you know, all these things. But uh, I got sent to Muncie, Indiana, which was like two and a half hours from where I grew up. And uh, I think, you know, my own story, um, like is just as it started to unfold and how the Lord was really kind of working in my life. And I was actually having a solid prayer life and listening and discerning. And then to be able to go on campus and just to meet, yeah, like I played a ton of basketball. I led, you know, small group Bible studies, you know, with guys, um, you know, did a bunch of outreach, did some one-on-one mentorship, discipleship. Our, our, fo- our model and focus was to just meet people where they were, meet students where they are, engage them, get to know them, walk with them. Um, you know, I've made a lot of great friends uh, who were students at that point in time and just walk with them, journey them and invite them, you know, to come to know the Lord and, really just 
you know, be a half, you know, walk right alongside of them, or maybe we're just like a half step ahead of them in the faith journey um, and just walk together. So uh, do you still stay in touch with some of the students that you, you met and, and have relationships with them? And like, what are the stories there? I mean, that was 10 years ago. So they're, they're <laughs> on their, you know, on their journeys. Yes. Some I did and, and and some I don't, you know, it just sort of depends, right. As your kind of roads diverge and you make, so, you meet so many people and have so many relationships, but I'll, um, I'll, I'll share two. Well, I'll share three examples. So, um, there was, a, there was a, there was a guy named Sean at Ball State and I didn't get the chance to spend a lot of time with him. I, you know, would see him and invite him to things and, you know, try to spend time with him. He rarely showed up to stuff and, uh, you know, but I would just always try to invest in him when I would see him and always try to remember people's names and be interested in their life because people just want to be, they want to be known. They they want to know and they want to be known at, at the root and at the core. And, uh, but, you know, Sean never got really involved with anything. Okay. So fast forward, you know, I think this is probably three, four years ago. There was, um, there was a, like a focus alumni, like book club, book study where, uh, a, a guy, I think, I'm not sure if he still works for Focus, David Trotter, Dave Trotter, mm-hmm. he was going around to different cities and they were hosting a live stream in people's homes, you know, doing this book. It was called Soul the Apostolate is the book. And so Dave and crew came to my house and we were broadcasting from my living room. And um, lo, lo and behold, in the chat that night or on the live stream, um, this guy, Sean, was actually on watching and said, hey, like, I, I see you. This is Nick Myers' place. Say hello to Nick and thank you for, you know, trying to reach out and invest in me. I know I didn't spend much time with you, but uh, that meant a lot to me back then. Oh. And so, like, that, you know, investment at that time, you just plant seeds and you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that was, like, really kind of cool. And you just never know where else the seeds have been planted and what's going to grow and what's going to happen with that guy. So, so that's that's one example, one story of a kind of a not much of a journey uh, with, but kind of just like a cool fruit of I didn't do anything, but the Lord did. And yeah, yeah. that's really cool. So there's him. And then there's there's Joel and Kenny and Joel and Kenny were both at University of Illinois, my my fourth and final year as a missionary. And um, I spent a, I spent a pretty good amount of time with these two guys and um, Joel and I still stay you know, in great touch. Um, he's married. He's got two kids. We're, we've actually been playing phone tag for the past two months. Um, just, yeah, just life is busy you know, for both of us, but um, just encouraging each other in the faith, praying for each other, like trying to give, you know, job career advice when we can and, and encouragement in that. And then Kenny actually became a focused missionary when he left campus as well and went to Europe and served um, in Austria and Vienna for I think four years, opened up uh, kind of the European tour of focus and reaching students over there. And uh, Steph and I, we did a pilgrimage over there to to Italy and um, you know went to a bunch of places. And then we extended our trip and went up to Vienna and met Kenny. Oh, you nice. know, at that point in time, and you know got to meet students you know there and the priests there and just get a personal tour of Vienna, uh, which was awesome and incredible. And um, and so he's you know we were invited to his wedding. Uh, he met a German girl <laughs> over there. So he's, he's he's married now and they just had their first son um, and they live in Kansas City. So we really tried to get them to move to uh, Indianapolis because Kenny, as he was leaving Focus, he had gotten his MBA 
and looking for jobs. And he was kind of debating. I had like, hey, you should come work with me at Lessonly. And he was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. There's this other job. It seems, you know, pretty good. Pays a little higher. I'm like, hey, you know, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, do it. Um, but he ended up coming and working for Lessonly. So I was always trying to recruit, you know, people I knew and friends. And it's just been a real gift to kind of watch him grow mature from a student to a missionary to being international and learning how to speak German while he was over there and meeting a girl and now having a, a family. So it's, it's, yeah, just, yeah, it's beautiful to be able to like, like be there at that, you know, critical time uh, in life and transition for not just them, but also me um, being on campus and starting to feel old, but, you know, just trying to love people where we are. I have to admit when now we we explained where I was at that time mentally and, and not even Catholic at that point, all that kind of stuff. So I remember when somebody mentioned somewhere, Hey, we're, we've, we've got missionaries coming to, to the Newman center. I'm like, what do you, Oh, what, oh they're going to be visiting for the weekend. You know, we're going to do an appeal. What's happening. Like, you know, no, no, they're going to be here for the year. And like, my mind like missionaries go out to third world countries and help people and and spread the the, the word of christ there and and what do you, and but then i worked on a college campus obviously for a long time and then once i started to understand what focus was doing i'm like yeah, this is mission country mm -hmm. this is mission land yeah, what a so. what a great outreach because there are so many students that that needed those relationships and needed to be introduced to Christ and in a, in a legitimate way. And, and Chris and I have talked about this. You know, he, Chris is, as the as the pastor there, like he could have so much reach. And he was you know younger younger priests, which probably helped. But there's this disconnect between you know the priests and bishops who are obviously providing sacraments and all these amazing things, but but then there's this, then there's the real world. And, and how do you connect the two in, you know, that's the million dollar question, I guess, but focus seemed to be fill that gap pretty nicely in that particular setting. Yeah. And there's such a, I, I think there's this call for all of us, right. Us men who are, you know, just in the pews <laughs> and in the workforce and, you know, out and about. Um, and I think it can be very easy to be like, Oh, well, you know, the priest, he's the expert, you know, he should be talking about these things. And that's actually not the call. And all of us are, you know, called to play our part in the body of Christ and in the world. And I think focus had a particular way for me of sh like showing me and teaching me how to do that. And me cutting my teeth in, in the sense of like going and meeting people and sharing, sharing the faith with them and kind of makes you vulnerable and, you know, you get rejected and that that's okay. You know, that's okay. Um, because that would just, that's just what happened to Christ at the same time. I think that's a, a great transition too that you're making into, you know, what's expected of us or what's the opportunity for us as men. So you're not just a fairly new dad, but you're fairly new at a uh, job with uh, Exodus. So tell us a little bit about that and what that, the the mission really is there. Yeah. So I think our listeners would be really inspired, those who haven't heard about it yet. Yeah, so the, the organization is Exodus 90. And so you can just go to exodus90.com, check it out. But um, our whole our whole mission is to help men live holier lives. And that uh, all comes from the, the place of, 
you just think about our world. And if you looked back over the past three months of your life uh, and, and just think about what did I spend all my, you know, time, time doing? Um, how much time did I watch sports or spend on my phone or, I don't know, distracted at work? Um, did I drink too much alcohol? You know, you know, there, there are so many men who struggle with pornography mm. um, in, in many addictions, just, just in general, or things that just aren't helping us to be free to be free from whatever those things are so we can be free for God and for Christ. So the mission of Exodus is to help men actually make that journey, just like the Israelites through the desert, to be freed from the things that keep them from the good that they have. So to be better fathers, to be better husbands, to be better friends, to be more available to, you know, whatever it is that that Christ is calling them to do. So it's all done through first and foremost, a 90 day spiritual exercise, which is where the 90 comes from. So it's Exodus 90, you do a 90 day journey and it's just built on three, three pillars that are not what we made up, but what Christ exemplified and what the church has taught from the very beginning of a life of prayer, a life of asceticism, which is kind of a, is a word that people don't hear about very much, but it's simply just self-denial is what asceticism is. And then, uh, and then fraternity. So prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. And so journeying with men, doing a specific thing, and um, having a list of you know ascetical practices to live by during that time as well. And, and so for some of our listeners, uh, you explained the 90. What about the Exodus? Yeah, the Exodus. That journal, journey, the Passover. What, where does that come from? Yeah, it comes from the Old Testament, the book, the book of Exodus. Um, and so the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians and Pharaoh, right? So if you've ever seen the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, if you haven't, go check it out. I think Carlton Heston's the man from the 60s or 70s. But right, it's it's all about let my people go. And um, these were, this was, right? The Israelites were God's chosen people who were enslaved by, by the Egyptians. And then Moses started to lead them out of Egypt across through the Red Sea, into the, the desert to the promised land where there was there was freedom, the land flowing with milk and honey, mm. all this goodness that was waiting for them. But in that journey, if you read the book of Exodus, right, they they wanted to go back to Egypt because yeah. it was hard and they were attached to they built a golden calf, the idol, they, the comfort, the things that they knew that were comfortable back there. And they wanted to keep going back to them, even though the promise of the promised land that was you know, beyond there that they didn't quite understand yet. They, they hadn't tasted, they hadn't quite experienced it fully. Um, so it's all about that journey. So that's what the Exodus part is, is using that as the basis of the route for all of us, because we all have certain things we're attached to and that we probably need some sort of freedom from. And these are people who saw miracles. They saw the Red Sea parted when Moses lifted his staff. They saw water come from a rock. They saw bread come down from heaven, you know, in the morning. I mean, these are people who saw miracles and still thought it was too hard and wanted to go back. And I think that message resonates 100% still true today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I find it true for myself. We just finished a, um, a thing at our parish, uh, the rescue project with Father John Ricardo. I don't know if you've heard of it, but anyway, the, the very, uh, the second to last, last uh, episode, he's talking about what are your idols? You know, we've all got them. And so we had to take some time and write it down. And and for me, it was my own grandiosity. You know, like I, I want to be listened to. 
and I want people to believe me because as a priest, if I said something, people believed it. At least I thought they did. <laughs> people paid attention. And now I'm like, say anything. And the kid's like, eh, wait, did you say something? Or my wife's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> so like I get this anger inside. It's like, somebody listen to me, please. Uh, and it's an idol. It, it gets in the way of me being a better disciple. And so that's what it sounds like Exodus 90 is ultimately is doing is helping us as men to be better disciples of our Lord. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the start of that. And I think what I've recognized, so I've been I've been working here seven months at this point in time. And if like the more men I encounter from across the country, um, and they start to tell me their story, it's it's always generally the theme, if I could say, it's it's an awakening. They're waking mm-hmm. up and and it's almost like activating. So no matter where what kind of where they're at in their faith journey, I think the more dramatic, you know, things are guys who are on the periphery, you know, maybe going to mass every once in a while, um, dropping their kids off to school. But, you know, some guy invited them into doing Exodus 90 and they said yes. And then on the other side, you know, their marriage is different. Their relationship with their kids is different. And they're 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 activated. They're like in they're there and they're involved and they have a thirst. They have a hunger you know, to learn more and to grow more at that point in time. So I think, you know, if there's anything that I've learned, it's, it's those themes that kind of come out as they, what happens on the other side. It's not, the journey is important, but what's the outcome, what's happening and where are you going from there? Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll attest, I, I went through Exodus years ago and I have to say it's, we wouldn't be doing this had I not. I really believe that because when we can look back and see how God works in our life, I can look back and say, okay, what, what happened with Exodus and, and, and everything Nick is saying is true. And with my experience, there was awakening. There was this freeing of, of time in a way for me. And it was, it was really it was some house cleaning for me and it freed up. Like I, I'd spent way too much time watching sports. And I talked about that in the podcast, but even at that point, when I went through it, I, I, I had converted to that point and, and definitely made some growth, but there was still some work to do. And God came in through Exodus and through the through the the process, kind of cleaned up and freed up time. And what wound up happening was pretty soon thereafter, I started to get this gnawing feeling of, hey, you you need to you need to start diving into scripture more. Mm-hmm. And so then eventually I, I listened to that, you know, that call and, and, and got into scripture and, and a ton of other reading. And I, I had more time to do those things, get into scripture and pray and, 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 and not in a way where it wasn't a discipline that I had to force myself to get into. I actually got freed up from things that I was spending my time doing. None, none of them, I think by themselves were horrible, but did I really need to watch two football games on Sunday? Did I really need to watch you know, every night of something on sports or something like that, you know, I found up this more time to do these things. And and because of that reading and that prayer and, and study time in scripture, I feel like I, I, I could be comfortable enough to have a podcast with my friend Chris here, where we're talking about scripture and faith and all these things, which honestly, at the time I started Exodus, you could have asked that, Hey, you're going to do something like this and talk about scripture and faith in a public way. And I would have been like, you're crazy, but I needed that house cleaning to happen in a way. And and so here we are full circle talking yeah. to you about Exodus 90. So it, it definitely does those things and bears that fruit. Yeah. And praise God for that. You know, it's uh, I'm just, it's so easy to do, to do the work that I'm doing for the organization because of 
because of the, the stories that I hear from from men and even from women who uh, I've had women who found out, oh, you work for Exodus 90. Thank you for doing that. Like I had one wife say, uh, Exodus 90 saved my marriage. Um, wow. I've had, you know, another woman say, when when my husband does Exodus 90, he's a better man and just more attentive and all the, you know, like you could just, it's just so easy and, and edifying to hear that. Now, that's not to say that every guy who goes through it has, you know, transformative things, but because so often it's, is, is now the right time to do it? And do I have the right disposition? And do I have a good group of guys to go through it with me to hold me accountable? Because I don't know about you guys, but I need accountability in my mm -hmm. life. <laughs> and um and brothers to challenge me and encourage me at the same time when things are really hard and exodus 90 is it's not a cakewalk it's a challenge you know to, to actually do it well it's funny we, we talk about these core things we've talked about in the podcast you know study scripture get into prayer uh, deny yourself so that you're serving others uh and then this community this community piece we're built for those things and when we're practicing those things then life is better for us and everyone around us and this is just obviously one one way of helping people to realize that um so thank you for the work you do there and and james and everybody else it's we certainly recommend it yeah thank you yeah i'm i'm excited about the future too i think we um some of the things that we've we've learned is that we we certainly there's the 90-day journey and, and men you know take it up all throughout the year. The majority of men do it 90 days leading up to Easter. And so I think last year there were 10 or 15,000 men. Some, don't quote me on that. Somewhere <laughs> somewhere in there um, that that took up Exodus 90 from really around the world, not just in the United States, which is just like really cool in terms of like the universality of it. And um, we, I just, we just had a, a meeting today and, and James, the, the co-founder and CEO, he was on a call earlier today as well with uh, some Swiss guard in over in Rome who are going through Exodus 90 right now, nice. leading up, leading up to Christmas. <laughs> so it's just really cool to, to see like, you know, men just like have a, I think we have a desire to be challenged. We have a desire mm -hmm. for, for structure and we certainly have a desire for, you know, community at the same time, which our society doesn't necessarily encourage you know because when you're in a community you, you tend to have to be vulnerable a little bit more yeah. talk about your weaknesses which i hate doing as a guy i hate admitting those things but they're really good for me and then i think what's really kind of neat as well is over time it's not just the 90 days it's okay you've got done the 90 awesome what are you doing what's happening afterwards right and how do we how do we how can we continue to help men uh, live in that freedom learn how to not just fast during the 90 days to self-denial, but then learn how to feast. How do we feast that doesn't become, you know, excessive hedonistic and yeah, fall back into the things that we were before because the life of the church, right. Is fasting and feasting the life of Christ, fasting and feasting, you know, model that. So how can, so we're working on trying to model that provide the resources and the structure for men beyond, you know, beyond the 90 days as well personal question for you in your your time of service whether it be focus or your your work with exodus how do you and i talk to people work in, in parishes and things like that how do you and obviously chris and i've talked a lot about his time as a priest how do you stay i guess engaged with your own faith when you're behind the scenes on the front lines doing this work of god like i, I 
you see and hear a lot about people who who can sometimes become overwhelmed with that or disenchanted because of of that work and and kind of lose their faith a little bit or they're challenged in their faith. Like, how does that resonate with you or how do you deal with that in your work? Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's been twofold. And, and one is just the recognitions of recognition of whose this is and, um, and it's God's. So the work in and of itself is God's. And, uh, if I keep that perspective, whether I'm successful you know, whatever that means, or I'm a, I'm a failure, you know, whatever that tends to mean, especially when you're talking about ministry, that that's, it's not really, it's not really up to me necessarily, mm-hmm. other than the fact that I need to put in the work, right? So if we just think about, uh, I think it was St. Augustine who said, uh, work as if everything depends on you uh, and then pray as if everything depends on God. And so first and foremost, so that's the second thing, first and foremost, I have to have a life of prayer and I have to be consistent in that and reliance on, on, on our Lord for everything that I'm doing. Everything that I have is a gift. Uh, I need to have a heart of gratitude all the time. And I'm just a child, you know, not that I'm acting like a child, hopefully, but I am a child in the eyes of the father. And so the outcomes, you know, sure. I can have an influence on them, but I'm not going to control them generally. And when I have that disposition of, dedicating, you know, every day I have to have, I have to have silent prayer time, um, whether that's going to a church and praying, or most of the time I I'm praying here, um, you know, in my own home, um, that's the root of prayer when gratitude, a heart of gratitude and a mindset of this is yours, Lord, I'm going to go work my tail off and use the gifts that you've given me in the place that you've put me and what the outcome is. I leave that to you. How do you balance everything, man? Father, husband, (laughs) work with Exodus. Like, like we all struggle with this, right? If we're being honest, like balancing these roles that we have. Mm -hmm. How do you attack that? Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. (laughs) Uh, When when you're good at it, maybe I don't know, or when you're bad at it, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know if I'm good at it. Maybe that's the thing. It probably depends. You should. Stephanie, my wife should be here. You should ask her. You know, <laughs> I'm doing at it. Yeah, we're going to very good we're about ask giving. her after this, and we'll do a follow up <laughs> episode. Here's what Stephanie has told us: the real truth. Here's here's really what's going on. Yeah, I I think I think before Theodore was born, it was just having good order, you know, and a good kind of routine and a rhythm in our life. And first, it's like just priorities and, and trying to prioritize. Um. First, the needs that we we have as individuals. So if God is first, how do I put God first, you know, in my day and in my week? So very practically for that, it's if God's the most important thing, if I say that, if I say I want to be a saint, if I say I want to be holy, what am I actually doing to help foster that, you know, and make space for God and bring him in into my life and allow him in? He's there. He's standing at the door knocking. I just need to open it up and I should do that all the time. So how do I do that? Well, it's like, I got to carve out time, intentional time each day to pray, you know, whatever that looks like for every person. If you haven't, if you're not doing anything, carve it, start with five minutes, right. And then slow, slowly build up. That'd be my encouragement. Um, and then mass is all, I mean, doesn't matter if I travel, doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, where we are, like that's a priority, you know, cause that's what the Lord is inviting us and calling us to do. And if you've stopped to think about it, 
he gives us everything and he asks for one hour a week, one hour. It's like such a tiny amount that God asks of us. I mean, he wants everything, but he says, come, come worship me, come be with me, come commune with me for one hour a week. So no, so it's just prior prioritization of that. And then it's, you know, for us, the hardest thing when, when we got married and we're living here in Indy, um, we had, you know, kind of friends from different stages of life all over the city. And we, we would just like be running around trying to like spend time with all these different people. Um, we finally said, we've got to prioritize. Um, and we've, we would love to spend time with all these different people, but what we really need is some roots and spend time with, with just a few and go deep. And so that was really critical for us in our life. And, and we've carried that out in our eight, you know, the last six years of our marriage, because the first two we were, we didn't know what we were doing, you know, when it was, you know, kind of coming to that. So prayer, you know, good friends or family that you can go deep with. Um, and then what I've found even, even more recently is just a few, you know, a few men who actually happen to live in my neighborhood that, um, that we just try to get together, you know, once a month, every other month, we've all got kids. Um, one has five, all the way down to me just with one. And so um, just trying to get together uh, and those things help for me. Those are things that I know that I need to make sure that I'm I'm rooted. And, and from there, everything can flow. God, you know, my wife, of course, investing in Stephanie, but that's that's kind of right after that. I didn't say that. Good community, good friends that, that kind of helped me to then go and hopefully flourish with my work and with any volunteering things that we we do at the parish as well. Kind of reminds me of what the acts, what's not written in the acts of the apostles. You know, like when we hear about Paul and Barnabas and all their travels and Stephen and his ministry, but you don't really see what the community was like after they moved on to the next town. You know I mean? We'll see that in Paul's letters, you know, you guys get you Corinthians better get your asses in shape because this is getting out of hand, you know, or the Thessalonians, like the readings we've been hearing at mass, you know, don't, don't worry about being busy bodies, get about being busy and eat your own food. And so, you know, we hear about the communities that way and the struggles they were facing, but not necessarily in anywhere of the acts that I can think of off the top of my head. Do we hear about that thing of like, how do we deal with burnout? How do we deal with, you know, the, the, the being baked in the oven of persecution, you know, in, in living out our faith life. And I think you hit on a bunch of really good things that were probably very true in the scripture in time in, in those times that the, the Holy spouse and the life of the parish and the life of the community. And then those deeper levels of community and, being able to really support one another, challenge one another, hold each other accountable, kind of like we talked about earlier, pray for one another. Mm -hmm. And um, what's the word I'm trying to get? Uh, to basically be able to spend quality time in the joys of life, celebrating those joys of life in holy ways. So, mm. Like good leisure? A, you think about leisure? Le Actually, yeah, that's not the word. Freaking COVID. This is my COVID brain took that away from me three months, three years ago. I saying COVID brain. I just keep saying it's old man brain. That's me. Yeah, it could be both. It could be both. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> the double whammy. No, you know, it's interesting whether you're talking about, you know, the, the 
brotherhood and, and exodus or th this attack on community, right? Mm -hmm. How important that is. And I thought what, what you said struck me was it wasn't quantity. And I think that's where we can get screwed up in our, our current age of, I need to have 8 million followers on Instagram and all this kind of stuff. It's, that's about quantity. It's about quality. If you have a, a, a good core group of people around you that you can spend good quality time with, meaning like you were just saying, like good time of leisure where, you know, we need to reset from the stresses of life in particularly in our country where we're go, go, go all the time. Uh, we don't do a good job of that. But I, I the fact that you just said, look, I, I realized I needed I needed to, to close the circle a little bit because it needed to be about the quality and not making sure I'm over here this week and I won't see you again for two years because I got to go through this whole round of people. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And the recognition to Jason is for, for us anyways, it was, it was very shallow and surface level because, mm. because you, you can't have depth when you only spend time with those people or see them every three or four months. Yeah. And then it just becomes exhausting because you're spreading yourself so thin and you have no roots. You have no place to go back to and to really be known. Like you sort of know each other, but when you together, you're just kind of, how's work, you know, how's, you know, da, da, da versus like, Hey, like you told us last time we were together that you were really struggling with this and you asked us to pray for this. Like, how's that going? Like what's, what's going on with that? And there's just, there's more depth. There's more grit because there's, there's more, there's more relationship, you know, mm. honestly there, when you spend time together, you just get to know each other better. Just like, you know, you guys know in your marriage <laughs> and with each other, right. You've been friends for over 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, yeah. But does that resonate for you guys? Is that, is that true? Kind of that in your experience as well? Kind of on the opposite for me uh, and Corinne, just cause our, our, our story is different in that, you know, we met in pretty quickly, um, you know, started our family, we got married young and, and we had Jackson, when we were pretty young. And and then, so what you're, you know, realizing now, like you almost said it without saying it, like, okay, this is what it was like before Theodore was here, but now I've got this nine month old who's going to just, he's going to throw these ripples in my, my schedule. Right. Uh, so we, we had to do that pretty quick. And so I don't think we built the foundation as well. And plus we weren't following from a faith perspective. So we had a, a huge challenge with that. And, and, you know, we, it took us a while to kind of figure out we needed to go way back to the roots and put God in, into back into our marriage and, or into our marriage completely. And, uh, and then, so it was the opposite in that we're, we always try to, we're both introverted somewhat in that, you know, we just want sometimes to sit at home and like retired and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it's more kind of walking out the other way where we recognize we need to have people around us that aren't just us and our kids. And so, you know, fortunately, God you know, reunited our friendship with Chris and Jen, and and we spend time with them on a weekly basis almost. And, and, and so recognizing the same thing, but going in the opposite direction was our experience. Yeah. So, Chris, I don't know about you. Mine is just so twisted and turned upside down. <laughs> I have no normal experiences in life. <laughs> no. Um, we joke, we call it our Shabbat Shalom, our uh, holy, peaceful <laughs> Sabbath, where, uh, you know, it, it just is so helpful, uh, I think, to both of us, because um, like me, my wife is very introverted. 
Yeah, no, she's not. <laughs> so Sundays come along and I'm like, oh, it's the Lord's Day, day of rest. She's like, what are we going to do? Where are we going? Where are we gonna, who are we going to see today? What are we going to And uh, yeah, having those deep friendships where you can really dig in roots um, accomplishes both. It allows for the comfort and the quiet of that which feeds us as introverts, but it also um, nurtures the extroverts, you know, and allows them to have the interactions and the quality time and the engagement so that they um, feel like there's more than just, you know, sitting around a house, not doing anything. So uh, it certainly helped our faith quite a bit because it's allowed us not just to take our, our faith and live it within our own family, but to bounce that off of Jason and Corinne and others, you know, who, because, you, you know, you, you have these different levels of friendship. And so to be able to see how one family might handle one situation with kids and another family handles another thing, and then to take it to Jason and Corinne and be like, okay, you know, here we are having experienced all these different stages of life and now experiencing a new one. And how do we, this is too psychological, but how do we evaluate uh, this time together? How, how, do, how do we value it? How does it change us as human beings? How does it make us better people? Um, you know, God forbid, how does it change me to, to make me a worse person, which it doesn't, but, but like, you know, that awareness of like, is this something that's healthy for me? Is this something that's holy for me and for our family? And the answer is yes. So of course the answer is let's keep doing it then. So when we uh, want to respect your time, there's one, one more question we kind of have uh, for you. And one of the reasons that we started Sheep Out of Water uh, was to provide weekly discussions that were relative to the scriptures from the Sunday mass readings. Uh, a couple of people have picked it up now who aren't Catholic. Uh, so it gives them just a chance to kind of hear two Catholics discussing their faith and the scriptures uh, and how it's relative to their lives. At least we hope so. Um, and we found that despite their best efforts, bishops and priests are more often than not missing the mark when it comes to making concrete connections, you know, to our daily lives. And that became very clear, um, at least to me, but I think to us, is how the church handled uh, the whole prolonged COVID restrictions. You know, and the, the fact that still today, most places you can't receive the precious blood anywhere. Um, it, it, the real thought I have is, you know, the summer had already come and gone. We'd all been at the neighborhood swimming pools together. We're drinking beers at the pool. We're hanging out. Our kids are playing. Everybody's barbecuing. You know, and the church is saying you have to sit every other pew. You have to six, <laughs> sit six feet apart from anyone who's not in your family. There's no sign of peace. There's this and that. And you're like, no, what? Huh? no, but those people right across the church. Yeah, we were at the community pool with them. That what? Come on now. So. Anyway, that made clear to us that, that there was just this disconnect between the actual daily life experiences of the parishioners and those well-meaning, most of the time, priests and bishops. Um, so as you've listened to Sheep Out of Water a time or two, I don't know how many times, and doesn't even matter, just <laughs> we know that you've heard it once or twice. Uh, do you think it's working? You know, do, you, do you think it's been a, a, had a positive effect on yourself or maybe others that you might know? Yeah. I, yes. And I've definitely listened more than a time or two <laughs> <laughs> for the record. Um, yeah, I think, I think what strikes me the most about what you guys are doing is, 
I don't know. There may be other, there may be another podcast out there um, talking about the scripture. I only know of one other one, but I know it's, you know, with a, it's with a priest, you know, talking about uh, the scriptures for the, for the readings for that Sunday. And so to hear from, yeah, just two lay men who are seeking the Lord and who are friends and just that what I appreciate is kind of the good, lively, like friendship and, you know, banter that you guys have with one another, but also just the kind of the real connections that you can see in your reflection as you pray with the scriptures and then gosh, what, it, what is speaking to me? What jumps out to me and how do I apply this to my life? And I think there's as husbands, as fathers, as men in the workforce. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's so relevant to most you know, most men, not just men, but most people who are probably listening to you. Um, I know I, I enjoy it and have given it a five-star rating. Oh, right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah so Jason's they, always talking about punching that like button. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Smack those like buttons. No, no, it's been, it's been an interesting trip. That's for sure. Uh, and, and so we just, we keep going with it. We keep going with it. But hey, be, before we close in prayer, I, I do want to mention for the listeners, check out the show notes. We're certainly going to be linking to the Exodus 90 website and, and we'll provide information on focus. And um, so certainly check us out there. And I know one thing Exodus is doing, which is pretty cool. So we didn't really have our typical, you know, breakdown of the scripture, but that's okay. Because if you go to the Exodus website, you may even hear Nick again. Uh, they, they do a really cool, uh, they actually, Nick actually reads the scripture, uh, uh, and then does a, a, a short message, uh, something to think about a kind of a challenge that goes with that scripture. It's, it's certainly very different than what Chris and I are going through, but it's another resource for you, uh, to listen to the scripture, pray about it. So, uh, don't worry. You can go there and listen to that. And if you, if you need that for this week, uh, if you didn't get that from our conversation here, but it's, it, it goes to what Nick was saying earlier in that they're trying to do more than just the 90 day uh, core uh, program with Exodus, which is fantastic, but what do you do after? And so this is, a, I know, another new initiative and, and it's really cool. Uh, so you can check it out that way. But so we'll be we'll linking those things in our show notes and Nick, we appreciate you being our first guest, our first, Woo! you know, the, the no inaugural. Way. Yeah, yeah. So we, <laughs> Chris and I figured we needed about 20 or so episodes to figure out how to do this thing with just the two <laughs> before we could actually talk and, and ask questions with somebody else. So hopefully you won't be the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Hopefully you're the first and we've got many more after you. <laughs> Man, I, I think you will. And guys and listeners, it can only go up from here. So. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody awesome as we normally do we'll, we'll, we'll close in prayer uh nick feel free to, to to throw something out there if you want but um i'll go ahead and get us started in the father son holy spirit amen lord jesus christ we just thank you thank you for this time thank you for this moment to reconnect with our friend nick and talk about his life faith journey all these amazing experiences that he's gone through to serve you and, and serve others and, and help them find you. We pray that you continue to give not only the three of us, everyone listening and, and everyone, uh, the courage, the fortitude, the strength to maybe stop what's, what's preventing them from hearing your word and hearing your voice. Lord, we just thank you and give you all praise and glory. Amen. Amen.
Nikki, you have to go praying. Oh, I yeah. know you are. I'm not even sure why I asked you. Nick, pray. <laughs> Father, just thank you so much for the opportunity and, and, and just bringing us back together. Um, so grateful for you, for your love, for your providence. And um, yeah, for just uh, the, our encounter, my encounter with these two two men. And Lord, I especially pray for um, for for all three of us as, as husbands, as fathers in the workforce, just that you would continue to send your Holy Spirit down upon us, that we could just be light in the world, in this in this dark world and in our workplaces, and that we just encounter people, get to know them, get to know their stories, and, and, and come to love them and, and share your love with them. So just ask that you would continue to bless them and especially their work, this work here in the audience and those who are listening to, to sheep out of water. If anybody, Lord, that is feeling like they're a sheep out of water, that this is a place that they can come and um, to, to be recognized and to, to, be, um, to be welcomed in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Nick. We thank you for Jason. Thank you for our kids, our wives, our families. We thank you for priests and bishops. And just as we have challenged them here at the end of the podcast, we also challenge ourselves, as we do in each podcast, to be more faithful disciples and to never quit learning, never quit opening our hearts, like John Paul II said, opening our hearts, the doors of our hearts wide to Christ, so that he can continue to evangelize us, even those of us who wear a pectoral cross and a big hat on our heads, because you were never done with us. And just as we will hear, Lord, in the scriptures for this Sunday, the last Sunday of Ordinary Time, Christ the King, where the criminal on the cross says to the other, have you no fear of God? And because of his challenge and then his own confession to Jesus and prayer for mercy and penance, Jesus says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, I demand no with you. Amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, we pray that through our continued reflection, our continued prayer, our continued accountability, that one day we will hear those same exact words. Today you will be with me in paradise. But not just us, Lord. The whole world. Everyone in it. And if it's not going to be because they open their hearts, it's because of fear of you, as the criminal says on the cross. But we pray especially for ourselves and for those that we love, that we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into rest. We ask all of this through Christ our King. Amen. 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 And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Nick, for joining us. Grateful.